Let's spell a song so you can sing along with one special guest or two. Or two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me today are two returning guests. One is my movie Deja Vu co-host, and she's been on a few times, and another one made me watch SpongeBob SquarePants, but we did Mamma Mia together, and now hosts his own podcast called Dinner in a Movie. It's Shady and Derek Speedy, everyone! Woo! Thanks for having me again. Happy to be back, even though I made you watch SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, you guys both wanted to do this movie, and I know, and you you both know each other, so it just made sense to be like, let's have a three-way opinion going on. Well, when John approached me about this this podcast as a whole and asking what what I wanted to do, I mentioned Sing Street. Sorry, I, I just blow the the surprise that we're talking about. Sing oh Street. no, I mean it's it's a, it's an it's the <laughs> yeah. episode name. So presumably right. they've read a title at this. Point. Hopefully, but the other one that I wanted to do, which was my first choice, was the Scrubs musical episode. <laughs> yeah, I think I like jumped down John's throat with that one. Like as soon she as he did. described this podcast, I was like, "Can I do my musical? I want to do my musical." She did. Absolutely. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but like I'm happy that you guys now get to do the one music one movie together which obviously like we said is sing street came out in 2016 the screenplay is by john carney's story by simon carmody with new music written by oh shit there's so many names john carney (laughs) gary clark graham henderson carl poppenfuss ken poppenfuss and zamo riffman's i'm hoping i'm saying those last name right if i did it it's a lot of Irish names yeah. and some not very Irish names at all. Poppinfuss. It sounds like Stephalificus or something. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> Sorry, Carl and Ken, if you're listening to this, I don't mean to make fun of your last name, but come on. <laughs> it's directed It's directed by John Carney. And according to IMDb, a boy growing up in Dublin during the 1980s escapes his strained his strained family life by starting a band to impress the mysterious girl he likes. But let's not forget what the tagline of this movie is. What's the tagline of the movie? Boy meets girl. Girl ignores boy. Boy starts band. Or so it's, it's the second, the second <laughs> sentence is wrong, but it's pretty much that. Yeah. Oh my God. Which pretty much sums it up. So why did you both pick this movie because it's good <laughs> no I, lo- I love this movie and it's one of those movies that somehow everyone I know loves it who's who's seen it loves it but like most people I know have never even heard of it which is wild to me like I, I don't really know how that happened because I feel I feel like I heard about it a lot before it actually came out in the U.S. but like yeah. I just know a lot of people who are like I've never heard of that Totally. And I, I, I feel like for some reason for me, this was like almost like, it feels like almost the epitome of kind of like an indie movie. I don't know why that appealed to me. 
but I think it's, it's like structurally and just aesthetically like very much hits that indie culture that like when I watched this in 2016, like middle of college, it just kind of hit me at the right time and was, you know, the kind of style of movie I started to get into. Plus it's Irish and I like, I like, I like an Irish accent. Well, actually Shady, I do remember you saying that you were trying to figure out how to do it on our podcast movie Deja Vu. Yeah. And I kind of found that on IMDb in the trivia where people kind of relate it to the commitments Mm -hmm. 1991 movie, which I also watched for this episode because I was just like, I've never seen this movie. But that one is about the creation, rise and fall of an Irish band called The Commitments, a band made of working class men and women of various ages based off of a book that also turned into a musical because Sing Street turned into a musical which cut short because of the pandemic yeah but is it actually I, I i read though on i think on wikipedia that they're thinking of coming out in the fall in the winter at some point it says original broadway cast which i don't understand it's on spotify because didn't it premiere at new york theater workshop which is off broadway well so the broad the broadway cast was the uh workshop cast as well as the new york theater workshop Gotcha. So the only one that changed is a character named Penny Lawler. The woman who did it at New York Theater Workshop is the one that's doing it on Broadway. Is that the mother? Yes, maybe. Because okay. the sister's name is Anne. Lawler is the family's name. Little Finger's wife? <laughs> <laughs> but it's also interesting that like, going back to the commitments, people thought that Eamon's love of rabbits was an homage to one of the characters' name, which is Jimmy Rabbit. Uh, He's the the manager. John Carney denied this fan theory because he said that it's based off of somebody he knew at (laughs) Sing Street CBS, the actual school. Yeah. Which is apparently, I found out, is, is mostly known as Singer now. And apparently at the end of the credits, there is like a long credit that says the current administration of Sing Street CBS, you know, I recognize that times have changed and the views exposed, espoused <laughs> in this movie do not necessarily espouse yeah. this. It was really <laughs> weird to have that. We, in there. It, it's, we don't abuse our kids anymore. We, we well, don't abuse students anymore. Just... Oh, that goes we for all Catholic schools everywhere. Like, we well, I, say, I, I think I felt pretty seen by this movie because I went to an all-male Catholic high school and I was in a band. Oh, you Aww. did? Is that yeah. why you picked? Is that why also you picked this movie? Because you felt a little kindred spirit with deep down, Connor? deeply repressed, possibly. Aww. Did you write original songs? No, 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 no. We did covers. We were called um, Electric Shoelace. Stop. And uh, I remember we did an acoustic cover of uh, Sexy and I Know It by LMFAO and um, Brother Paul, who was the monk, who was the um, headmaster of the school at the time, came up to me afterwards and goes, those were some interesting lyrics, Derek. (laughs) Please tell me you have a recording of this. Oh, it's on Facebook. Absolutely. Amazing. Um, I did not go to Catholic. I was raised Catholic, but I did not go to a Catholic school, did not go to an all boys school, certainly. But I guess my closest connection to Catholic school is that when I was a kid and Sister Act 2 Back in the Habit came out. Oh, hell yeah. For like a hot minute, I really wanted to be a nun and teach at a Catholic school because of that movie. Well, the reason why I think it's set 
in Sing Street, the school, is because in real life, it's a non-fee paying school. So that's why oh. he goes right. there. Yeah, because he, they say he was going to a Jesuit school first, but the, when the family's financial situation changed, they moved him to Sing Street. Reading about the a little history lesson. Let me <laughs> <laughs> let me put on my scholar's cap for this one. Reading about like the 80s around the world, it like sucked politically. Like everything was way off everywhere, not just here or Ireland, but like the world was just kind of like 2020, but for a decade. Really, we think of the 80s as like a fun time, but the reality of it was not very fun. The entertainment was fun because the reality sucked. That's what I was going to say. However, the music that came out of the 80s was explosive because you start the decade with the death of disco. And then Thank you, God. you shut your mouth. Disco <laughs> is awesome. Donna then- Summer is a goddess. <laughs> ABBA is great. We did a oh, whole actually, thing that's about true. ABBA. That's very true. ABBA is great. Let's not get that wrong. <laughs> but like, then you have rock and pop being like redefined and played with with different yeah. genres and things like that. I do. And- I I really love British new wave, which mm. a lot of this movie is like very highly inspired by that. I'm a Philly yeah. girl, so I love Hollow Notes, and there's obviously a lot of Hollow Notes in this. Although. I don't know if you guys know this, but there's some anachronistic music happening during yeah, this movie. specifically Duran Duran. No. Oh. It's "Stepping Out" by Joe Jackson, which came out in 1988, and then the song "Pop Music" uh, came out in '93, and then there's that Cure, the Cure song "In Between Days," which like mm. it came out in '85, so I'm not sure like how that that one's like toting the line fair enough well right. well brendan the brother um jack Rain, who was played by jack rayner which we're going to talk a lot more about him because holy shit he's the best part of this movie but he talks about you know like in the beginning of this when they're watching the music video for rio they're like oh yeah duran duran we'll see which way they're gonna go and it's like that's my awful irish accent um <laughs> and it's like by that point they'd already been pretty established since like 1980 two i think was the yeah game. yeah it's like it wasn't they, they were a big pop group by the point of this movie yeah because like Which, uh, i wonder how much of that too is like also it's still ireland in the 80s was a little more insular than it is now so i mm-hmm. wonder like i mean they I, didn't get grunge till like 2003 right right um and like they even make a point you know well, almost nobody had seen back to the future which was one of the biggest movies of that year because they just didn't have enough theaters where people could have gone to see it so like i kind of wondered if like that if there was something similar happening with music obviously i can't speak from my own experience because i was not born yet and i've never been to ireland like like i wondered if like oh well maybe duran duran for whatever reason even though it would make sense for like brit pop to really cross over into ireland pretty easily if for some reason it just hadn't really happened yet well this was my question too so i mean 85 like that's pretty near the height of the ira yeah uh, yeah the, the yeah this is during the troubles um definitely during the troubles which i mean we're not in northern ireland we're in dublin right, right. Um, but at the same time the, the like the idolization of but the idolization of london was very interesting to me particularly for the for like the younger group yeah yeah it was it, very interesting to me given that 
yeah, I would think that they don't like the British at all. But, you know, again, I wasn't around at the time. I don't know. Seen Dairy Girls. I know what you're saying. Yeah. But that takes place in the 90s in Northern Ireland. So a little True. different. Exactly. <laughs> but like, I don't know if it's because they're going to London for, well, they're going to London for work. Because there is no work in Dublin or in Ireland, really. Yeah. So but there's this like belief, like there's like this other, this like this, I mean, I don't mean to say like, you know, like the new world, but there is this like, this feeling that there's like, we, if we can get there, we can make a new life. And there seems to be this kind of almost like admiration of it that was was really surprising that like, you know, Irish kids are going to be admiring, you know, something that's so English. Yeah. Also, jumping to the end of the movie, right away. Um, <laughs> a very good place to start. What do you think happens to them, to Connor and Rafina? Like, do you think they actually make it to London? They... They left it open, so this is just uh, your honest and right. your honest opinion at this point. Eaten by I mean, a shark. Eaten what? by a shark. Eaten by a shark. Yeah, because like I mean, you see them they... next to that ferry that's going to England. Mm-hmm. So, like, do you think they make it? I mean, I do think they make it personally, um, but I love that it's left ambiguous, and it's entirely possible that they capsize and drown and die. <laughs> Hopefully, like, they're, they can stay on the same thing, unlike what happens in Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Beats, I don't, do I don't want... Well, I mean, I like that, like, the end of it is, you know, they see the ferry, which had been established. It's, it's Chekhov's ferry. You know, the ferry is established in the first act that it has to come <laughs> back in the third act. But I, what I do like is the last little bit of them is riding in the wake of that ferry. Mm-hmm. I think that yeah. is really, I think that is very promising. And I think that was a very cool choice. Yeah, they're, they're following a path that something else has already laid out this path for them, but they buck up the courage to follow it, which is basically what Connor's doing with his older brother, Brendan, the whole movie, that Brendan was able to make all of these inways and be a guide for Connor. And Connor's the one who, yes, he has what he says that. right at the end, right before he, you know, right before he leaves is, you know, like, you know, I wasted my life. I yeah. understand I smoke too much pot, but like. I was the one who had to go through this shit so that you could do something. So do something. Yeah. So do you think this movie is more Brendan's story than Connor's? Well, it's funny. I talked to I talked to a friend about this movie as kind of like a, a, a prep run through for my own podcast. And she kept talking about the friendships in this movie. And she kept talking about this movie as a movie of friendship and like talking about, you know, the boys and the band and like you know them coming together and connor finding these these people in his life maybe even including rafina whether that you know that's a love interest but as a friend and i kind of pushed back on that that i thought this was such a movie about family and the fact that the end of the you know the end epitaph of this movie is for brothers everywhere was so intriguing to me well i kind of took it that friends and family are equally important in this movie. It's ultimately a story about source of, sources of inspiration, which are the people around you, because the creative process is such a huge element in this movie. There's so much, we see so much of uh, Connor and Eamon collaborating with each other, and we pick up lines of dialogue here and there, even from the teacher, who's not a major character, but she says something that becomes uh, the chorus to one of the songs he sings at the end. And I just kind of took it as like, this is a movie about inspiration. And because of that, it is ultimately Connor's story, but Brendan is one of the major sources of inspiration for him. 
I only ask because rewatching this, I, I mean, I've seen this movie maybe a dozen times at this point, and I, I realized though that like Brendan goes through the biggest character growth through the movie. He does. So that's why I was asking if it's more his story rather than Connor's, because like he's the one that starts out as the deadbeat brother that everyone makes fun of, and at the end he's sober. He's changing his life for himself right and like i kind of wish he went on the boat with them yeah but i'm glad he doesn't to be honest i'm glad that he i'm glad that he's just there and puts his arms up and it's and and he gave his brother lyrics that he wrote to then yeah move on with his story and it is in a way of victory for him too if his brother can make it because of the work he put in that means that a part of him did make it hmm and I, I guess like, yeah, no, John, you're making a lot of really good points. And going back to this is about inspiration. Well, I mean, he was ultimately a deadbeat at the beginning, but then he realized like he gains the inspiration to move on with his life and push to push through to a different path of his life because his brother was able to book up the courage and follow his dream. Like with every scene that they have together where he's giving him the music lessons. Mm-hmm he gets a little more active in, mm-hmm. in his brother's life. So that's why I was just like, well, you're not like a Mr. Miyagi type character. I didn't know if this, he was like a second lead in yeah, a way. Like a deuteragonist. Well, it's more like how Brendan, I don't mean to say becomes a father figure to, to Connor. Cause I mean, he's clearly, you know, he's his brother. That's it's clearly a, a fraternal relationship yeah. in that manner. But, you know, like literally is giving parts of himself away. And it's so much about how Brendan can let go and let go of these, like let, let go of like, you know, that this, this feeling that he had wasted potential, this feeling of like letting go of the life that he thought he was supposed to have and like giving that to Connor and having laid out that work for them because his dad and his mom didn't do that for specifically for Connor. And so it feels almost so parental. Yeah. um, Which is, which is very interesting to me. And it is one of like the emotional, I guess, low points of the movie really is when Brendan kind of reveals how much he's been resenting Connor this whole time. And then he has to get over that. And then the end of the movie, he's over his resentment and just happy for his brother. So yeah, he does go through a major arc in that way. Well, that whole thing of like, you know, like that generation of, I want to give my kids a better life than what I had. And like, it, again, it, it, the, 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 the film starts with, you know, <laughs> little finger and his wife arguing <laughs> that's how i'm gonna refer to it what is aiden gillen is that his name yeah aiden yeah. gillen and maria doyle kennedy um, maria doyle kennedy that's how i'm gonna refer to both you, of them you can also call her Catherine of aragon from uh the tutors if you want <laughs> oh okay um well little finger and Catherine of aragon are it starts with them fighting and you know this just this is like disgruntled household that or sorry disconnected what's the word i'm looking for Dysfunctional? Dysfunctional. dysfunctional dysfunctional yeah this is this dysfunctional household in particular with the parental figures and how brendan can kind of step in as a mentor for connor when everything's going wrong it's just so beautiful he does kind of step in as a dad in a way i mean i can yeah. see what you mean by calling him a father figure because like connor's 15 he doesn't really need like babying from the parents am i right in saying this 
<laughs> no, no, I think you're right. I, I think there's like a major thing in this and, and part of what this gets so well about adolescence, because this is ultimately a coming of age story and what it gets so well about what's tough about adolescence is that's the point in your life when you realize how little control you have over your life because you have to follow rules. You have parents, you, you can't just choose to do whatever you want to do. It has to be within what your parents allow you to do. Or, can, or the means that they have to exactly yeah right like he can't just go to the school that he's been going to he's forced to go to this new school that he hates because of his parents financial issue and things he are can't just... get anything other than brown shoes exactly and the songwriting is the one thing that he can control and it kind of gives him this like center in his life really like kind of brendan who guides him to that while their parents are fighting and him being able to talk to his brother and give him life advice and give him all these music lessons and everything. I do like though that we see that at in the very beginning Connor at least has some sort of musical ability. Like right. this isn't just him yeah. being like I'm creating a band out of It's not the kid in love actually learning how to play the drums. Right. Exactly. Right. And like you already see him hearing people talk speak around him and incorporating that into his lyrics and of course it's like basically a musical version of shit posting in the beginning like <laughs> where he's just singing the insults that his parents are hurling at each other but that like becomes again he uses what people say to him and incorporates that into his lyrics later there's so many ways i could take this conversation now because that was we had a good we had a good volley about family and things yeah. uh shady you mentioned like this was like a highly emotional movie so like, what, do you, what are your thoughts on both you and D-Speeds, I should say, what are your thoughts on the Drive It Like You Stole It fantasy music video? Ooh. Oh, this is, I started writing like a thesis for this because I was going to mention it as one of my sharps later you on can, in the podcast. I mean, you can mention it later, but no, like. Because no, I was going to go on a whole spiel and I was like, I can't make that a sharp. I'll take over the whole thing and it'll be awful. Do it now. Do it right now. Okay, that whole sequence is the thesis of this movie in a single sequence. It shows what is wrong with Connor's life and how he imagines it can be better. And the only way he can actually bring different happy endings to all these different threads in his life is only through his music and through his imagination. But it gives him so much confidence. And then the song's over and he's brought back down to reality and it's just seven kids dancing really crappily in an empty auditorium. Not understanding the reference that he's trying to make. Right, right. They don't understand what he's talking about. They have no rhythm whatsoever, which Irish people have rhythm, okay? No they don't way. even know Hall and Oates. Right. They're, they can barely dance. They can barely snap their fingers to the beat. But in his mind, through his song, he can create this whole other universe where there's a big choreographed number, his parents are happy together. His mm. principal is letting loose. The girl he likes is staring adoringly at him. His brother, who he just had a fight with, gets to be the hero. And cool. And, and cool, yeah. And, and like, like put together. Right. He's got like James Dean hair instead of Seth Rogen hair. But I do find it funny that this dream sequence for him is this like 50s prom like a hundred percent those specific aspects of it are the most important part of it but the fact that the backdrop to it is like an american 50s prom i don't know i don't know what that says again this idea that it's like you know america 
right. London, these other things outside of where you are, this escapist kind of ideal. I could speak about the 50s because I believe the in the 80s, they were nostalgic for the 50s mm-hmm. and 60s, like um, how we're currently nostalgic for the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, in the 2010s, we, there's a 30-year nostalgia cycle, and in pop culture, things there's a 20-year cycle, a 30-year cycle, and a 40-year cycle, so this isn't for everything. But for movies, it tends to be a 30-year cycle, and in the 2010s, we got so many movies and TV shows set in the 80s, but in the 80s, they were doing that with the 50s. So it's this, it's like a Russian nesting doll of nostalgia. <laughs> But also the fact that it was American. It was so distinctly meant to be American was so surprising to me. Well, I think that's because it's Back to the Future that he was referencing. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily America, just literally Back to the Future. But also a public secular school versus a Catholic school, maybe. Mm-hmm. That might have something to do with it, even though his principal still shows up in his priest garb. And a little um, a little off topic, but... When- <laughs> that may again Aiden Gillen who is such a brilliant actor and I, I love that they did, really did try to go no name actors except for you know some of the adults the in this three film. of them but <laughs> if you watch Aiden Gillen he does not have the same kind of rhythm that some of these other hired dancers have oh. and it made me think of did you ever see um the Jake Johnson interview with Conan where he talks about how he never learned the the choreography for a commercial marketing advertisement for New Girl and they did a whole dance and he just didn't learn the choreo and you can just watch it sorry this is totally off topic but it just it made me laugh so hard and it made me think of that yeah I love the this this fantasy thing because like I mean we all have it we all have a fantasy moment whether it's like the perfect date or you know you you get an a on a test or something just a fan just like a fantasy moment but like when the parents show up in his Mm -hmm. fantasy and they're together and lovey-dovey i don't know what it is but i started crying like the tears are just like no like escaping and you know it's it's such a sweet and tender moment that obviously you have the between two characters who hate each other it points to how much he loves his parents and wants them to be happy, but they're never going to be happy the way he wants them to. It's like, And he can't say that in real life, you know, because he's a 15-year-old teenager who's never going to say that. But in right. his music, he can kind of express that idea. So right. he has to think about it. And it's so sad. <laughs> the other thing I was thinking about was in this movie, the way that like, I know you've, I think, I believe you've talked about In the Heights on the podcast have, already yes. yeah so so uh, i have not listened to the episode but you know so much of that mm. movie was with <laughs> so much of that movie was kind of framed around this idea of dream sequences because that was so integral to the story um it's beautiful and do not just do not talk shit on <laughs> oh i'm not no no no. i'm not i'm not and and, 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 it, and, I am and like claiming that for you right now i fucking love that movie oh a hundred percent agreed but like but but the frame that they really worked about around was this idea of like dreams and they used a lot of the musical sequences as just dream sequences and i think very smartly not all of them but many of them whereas i, I felt this movie what I thought was so interesting is to watch kind of the progression of it, that like riddle of the model. 
is them filming this super <laughs> shitty fucking music video yeah, and it's hilarious like, yeah almost yeah. like everything that can go wrong and it still be functional goes wrong but it's still functional it's so funny also yeah. whoever the bassist or the pianist who goes through all of the village people is fucking hilarious um <laughs> and he's the cop at the end of it um yeah. but but then- like yeah you you have them growing as a band and like when is it by a beautiful sea they're kind of like a little more cohesive mm-hmm. with and, their and they're, right. but it's still set in kind of like real time of like this is like us filming this this is us performing this even girls is like hey it's us performing this but we get two instances where it's not that and that is drive it like you mean it where it's that fantasy sequence like totally fantasy dream sequence and then to find you when he's singing that we see basically Rafina's perspective of the song which I think is so interesting that those are the two songs where they choose not to really have it in real time and I was wondering both of your thoughts on that I mean it mm. (laughs) (laughs) it? (laughs) I it I think it's great that like we got a fantasy sequence mm-hmm. just because I think it actually calls for it at some point. Like I've ne- I've I have yet to see once. I'm going to admit that now. So <gasps> I don't know if this is John Carney's like I know you have a poster of it. I don't know if this is John Carney's like thing where he has like one song be a fantasy sequence in his movies. Am I wrong or right in saying that? Or he has a fantasy segment if you will i didn't know john carney did once yeah the the movie yeah sorry um, the movie yeah the the once the movie is structurally well stylistically quite different from sing street but like is a, it based in reality yes it's like borderline documentary like it feels like a documentary at times is there though like a a, a musical theater moment if you will I don't remember there being one. Admittedly, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but I don't remember there being one. Okay. Like, it's like they are professional musicians and they are performing. P.S. Any future guest out there that's listening right now, I've yet to do once. So just saying. Uh, <laughs> I, I do for a rewatch. You do have enough things coming up. <laughs> but I, I think, though, that this story, because you see, you see him create the shot list and everything of like how he wants these things to be filmed and it calls for it to have a fantasy like music mm. like a real music video moment like the first time watching it you could assume that it was going to be like aha take on me where it <laughs> comes to life yeah. from his animation <laughs> but i think drive it like you mean it nope drive it like you stole it that's the word oh damn it sorry <laughs> Drive it like you damn it. Drive it like you damn. <laughs> that one was also the the song that they're they were trying to push as mm. like the song of the movie. Right. And then to find you, like all of his other songs are about Rafina in a way, because that's how his emotions are going. But right. to find you is the one is the is the one where his heart is broken, like literally shattered into pieces. And so to see the reason why it was shattered was interesting. Yeah. Agreed, but disagree <laughs> in the sense of, I mean, I, to me, we'll get to this later, I'm sure, but the, the, the song to me of the movie is Up. 
I was gonna say, I think Up was supposed to be the song of the movie. And then when they actually like recorded and produced the songs, Drive It Like You Stole It was immediately the catchiest. So that's the one they started pushing instead. See, so th- this was a question I asked a couple people was like, and I- I'm curious to you, are there songs from this pot of, not from this podcast, from this, from this soundtrack <laughs> that you have like on Spotify playlists? Well, or I mean, on that's playlists? the last question I ask yeah. everyone, Derek, yeah. you should know this by now. No, not the soundtrack of your life. I'm just saying like, like I have, I have up and I have girls on like two different playlists yeah that no, I just I, have just because I like them as songs yeah no there are five songs that sing street the band sings it writes quote-unquote writes seven. and sings in this movie right but I'm saying there are five that I have regular rotation in my Spotify I mean I could listen to up for like two hours on repeat no not up I'm sorry girls I could listen to girls two yeah. hours on repeat it's so Girl, catchy yeah. it's and so then fun. throw in Throw in like a brown shoes and a drive it like you meet drive it like you stole it. Damn it! Keep saying. All right, sorry. <laughs> but like, See, the, that's the, the one I forgot that. about when I rewatched the movie and heard "Drive It Like You Stole It." I was like, "Oh, this is pretty good. This is like the Hall and Oates song. Yeah, this is like a really this is the dream sequence." But it was uh, the one I forgot about. That's so funny because that's the song that I to this day get like livid, like red in the face, angry that it wasn't nominated for an Oscar, mm. and then won, which. I mean, La La Land was released the same year and that's a whole different conversation right there. Um, <laughs> every song in Sing Street is better than every song in La La Land, but that's just me. But like, Drive It Like You Stole It was a song that I heard for the first time and I was like, this had to have been an actual hit in the 1980s. Like this mm. is such like a catchy, super fun, but like, I don't, I don't have, I don't have the words for how good I think this song is. And like, it's like in my head every day. I sing this song to myself, like when I'm brushing my teeth. Well, I do think structurally too, as a song, it is the most sound and kind of cohesive. And the fact that like, again, so you have this super clean song that is just like, sounds like it could be on the radio tomorrow. And you have this fantasy sequence of what it could be. Mm -hmm. And then the juxtaposition of that, then it's like, oh, but it's just seven kids dancing in an empty gymnasium (laughs) I think I think you're totally right is like this like and I think that's almost when he really decides that he's gonna go to London that he's he's outgrown this area well it's also interesting going back to how a a lot of the songs are about Rafina this is I think the first one we get like full song and uh that he wrote that's not about Rafina that's about him and his life specifically And so like, there's like, it's such a turning point for him artistically where he's finally like turning to his real problems and not just a girl he likes for inspiration. I can see John disagrees. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to connect some points we've talked about already where uh, he got the title from his brother. So Mm. is it maybe about like him and, and his brother? Oh, it could be. Because then, oh, like, maybe his... he's telling his brother. Because, like, it, it, this is like one of those songs where the lyrics don't seem personal until you actually connect them to his life. And he's saying, Drive it like you stole it. He's saying, Control your life, like, gain control of your life. He could be saying that to his brother. That's a good point. Where was it going with this? I don't remember. <laughs> but we're going to connect previous points. Oh, no, that was the previous points I connected. That, like, oh, okay. we've talked about how his brother was a source of inspiration. And then, I think he's literally talking to his brother right before he, like in a scene or two before he, they do the music video. 
Yeah, the scene before this is when they have their fight. And that's why his brother gets to be the hero in the music video inside his, in, inside his head instead of himself. He's not the one punching out Rafina's creepy older boyfriend. It's his brother doing it. Yeah, that's a great point. And is, is it him wanting his brother to take that role or is he kind of putting himself in his place of his brother of like what he would do if he was his brother? And the game kind of is doing that. It's like, I am, I'm my brother. I recognize that, but I have these opportunities. I'm going to do what he didn't do. I'm not going to throw it away. I'm going to go for it. Hmm. Um, maybe. What a, a thematically rich sequence. Truly. <laughs> I couldn't find, well, to switch gears, I, I remembered what I was going to ask now. <laughs> Are they actually like playing the instruments and singing everything themselves? Or like, I feel like Ferdia. Yeah, I think Ferdia yeah. is singing for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think I read somewhere that Mark McKenna, who plays Eamon, knows how to play instruments at least. There are a few shots where he has to be like, he has to at least know how to play it, even if it's not actually his playing. And the kid who plays the drummer, you it's really difficult to fake that. Like going back to a totally different movie, Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> I love where... me some Rachel Lee Cook. <laughs> you don't hear their playing the instruments on the soundtrack. It's like actual session musicians, but they still had to learn because even to fake it, you have to know where your hand goes at what right. point. Because like, I feel, I feel like there is a shot or a scene of the bassist like not playing what's actually being played. Yeah, I, I think it's easiest to fake on bass and guitar. depending on the angle, keyboard and guitar, yeah. So like maybe they went through a music boot camp to like learn how to play, learn how to fake it. Oh, like, like Saving like... Private Ryan. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up, Derek's baby. The two, the two comments I wanted to make is, so Ferdia, I found out his father and his uncle actually both attended the real life Sing Street. I, I read that, yeah. And That's then, cool. do we think there's anything to the fact that Connor is so dependent upon Eamon? And I, I think one of my favorite lines in the movie is, will you help me write a song? Always. And so Connor's leaving with, you know, part of Brendan and he's leaving with some of Brendan's lyrics, but he's not, he's leaving without Eamon. He is kind of like, you know, going solo. He's leaving without the band. And that's interesting to me. But it mm -hmm. feels like the band knew about it because before they perform, perform Brown Shoes, they think they're, I think they think they're going to get expelled, but maybe they knew of Connor's plan because they have that line of like, are you ready for our first and last gig? I just kind of assumed that Connor was just going to go first and he was going to like be the one who tries to like actually like make ends with like record producers and stuff with the work that he and Eamon had created together. And then like, if he was able to secure a deal or something, be able to bring over the rest of the band. Ooh. But I forgot about that line. And that is a pretty key line. However, comma, he did leave with his demos yeah. So maybe you are correct in saying that he's going to London in hopes to find, make a career out of it or something. Because right. Eamon, even though he has a mother who uses a vibrator while her son is um, <laughs> <laughs> playing Duran Duran in the room She's, below them. Eamon's mother is my favorite character. Eamon's mother. Like. But that being said, like, you know, like, Eamon ha has a mother who uh, it, see it seems in the little we see of her, like, you know, is 
involved in his life. We have um oh who is the uh the keyboardist? Ngig. Ngig. Um like his mother's clearly very in- involved with his life. Like, you know, it's like so we 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 actually get to see and then we, we see the twin the twins too have parents that are involved in their lives. So like you see like the difference between them mm-hmm. and Connor, whose parents right. really couldn't give two shits. Right. That like That's- he is maybe the one who can leave first and then pave the way. He can be the one now to pave the way for other people because he's learned that from Brendan. Whoa, My head whoa, is exploding. Whoa. I'm uh, gaining such a new appreciation for this movie that I already loved. I am as well. <laughs> So to go back to the stage version, though, it features all the original songs plus Adam Levine's song, Go On, which is on the soundtrack and in the movie. Uh, It's the last song that's played when they're going out to sea. But there's different orders, right? Different order of songs? It's a different order of songs, yes. And it includes, it doesn't include any of the other songs that are in the movie, like the established songs. None of the curated soundtrack, just the original soundtrack. Okay. Currently, I don't know if they've made any changes since the shutdown. It has three other songs. Just Can't Get Enough by Depeche Mode. Faith of Our Fathers, which is a Catholic hymn, and it's sung by Brother Baxter, according mm. to the past album. And then there's this song called Dream For You, which I think it's an original song as well. Hmm. So, because like, dream, I found another version of, of a song called Dream For You which isn't what's on the soundtrack. Right. <laughs> or the cast recording, I should say. But the book was uh, written by Edna Walsh, who also adapted Once. So, Ooh. Which is one of the best books of a yeah. musical I've ever seen. That was like watching, that was, oh, that was like watching a film on stage in the best way possible. It was so intimate and so beautiful. So maybe they'll win a Tony if it actually opens? But here's my thought is I loved the fact that you could track the influence that he was like, I want to make a Duran Duran song. I want to make a Hall and Oates song. I want to make yeah. a Cure song. Right. Like, it was and so you, clear. Right. You, you hear it in the songs, but you also see it in his wardrobe, which I think, and it's not presented as him being like a poser or anything. It's just presented as him figuring his identity out, his style out by trying all these other styles. Because then to find you and brown shoes, even like those are not, those are him. Right. Yeah. He's coming to his own musical of. voice. Yeah. yeah and even he's... girls. Like that one, yeah. there wasn't, an, there, there was no song prior. Right. It sounds like that. Right. Riddle of the Models, Duran Duran, Beautiful Sea is, uh, is uh, the cure. No. Wait. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, well, what is up? Depeche mode. No. Um, <laughs> Depeche mode. Um, is that stepping out? I mean, it kind of sounds, it sounds like it could Maybe be it like a jo- B side to Joe Jackson. Oh, yeah. So the uh, town called Malice by the Jam and Stepping Out by Joe Jackson is played during the montage of Connor and Eamon writing up. Yeah, right. I did write that down. Yeah. It so. doesn't sound like the jam to me, though. It sounds a little more like Joe Jackson. <laughs> so, no, but, but so, yeah, I think maybe then that's also like, again, that story of them finding their own voice. But I'm curious what you guys think about also in this. Like, I felt like I thought that the relationship between him and Father Baxter and the, the tension that was there, I remember it being so much more 
potent and prominent than it actually is. And so like the fact that Brown Shoes is the last song and they have, you know, the masks of them where of, of brother, it's brother Barry, right? Brother Baxter. Brother, brother Baxter, Baxter, sorry. Them wearing brother Baxter's face, you know, like I, it feels like there's so much of like that being the last statement of, of Sing Street, at least. I think it's smart that in, in the musical of, of at least what I can see of the quote unquote set list is to find you comes after Brown Shoes. I saw Brown Shoes as Brother Baxter is like kind of what they're focusing on, but it is also he's raging against financial machine. hardship. Right, raging against the machine. Like he's he's using Brother Baxter as an avatar for all of the bullying, all of the financial hardships he's going through because he has brown shoes because he can't afford black shoes. Right, and also Brother Baxter quelches him. Quelches? Is that a word? Can it be a word now? Yeah, that's a word. I think that's the word that I want I to use, squashes. He squashes him while he's trying to find himself. Mm-hmm. So he's in the, is he in the Duran Duran makeover era? Yeah, with, with with the, the makeup and the, and the, the frizzed out hair and everything. Yeah. So Brother Baxter literally almost drowns him. He's Again, disclaimer, we don't abuse our children anymore. We don't abuse our children. <laughs> and also watching this movie for this, again, Connor is like, I believe him when he says he's a futurist, because listening to his, what he says to people, I'm just like, that's like now language. I don't even know if we had that language in 2016, but like that's, tw- that's 2020, 2021 language that's hap- that you're saying. Yeah, no, uh, he, he is like challenging gender norms very brazenly at a time yeah. when that was a lot riskier. It's still risky now but it was a lot riskier back then. Like you had to be a rock star to get away with it. In an all boys school in in the Dublin. middle, of, like the outskirts of Dublin, yeah. Yeah, like like when like Catholicism had a real hold on like everything Irish too at that point, kind of still does, but. Also the, the use of like futurism as this idea that like, again, I understand that I have these influences that like I don't actually have like, I don't have a sound yet. Mm-hmm. That, like, the, again, there's so much of, like, looking forward in yeah. Connor's storyline. It's, it's kind of optimistic about his own artistic journey. Well, and, and, like, again, they don't want to do something that's nostalgic for their parents. They don't want to make music their parents would like. Well, would you define his band as futurist? Is that even a defining factor for a band? I don't think so. It kind of feels like they just didn't know the term new wave. So they said futurist because that <laughs> described what they thought new wave music was. I would have slashes around new wave saying like rock and pop. Yeah. I mean, they get a little punk with girls is a little yeah. punk. Well, Girl. new wave is like, it's, it's a, it like started off as punk bands starting to make more popish music, but also incorporating a lot of synth music. Um, like Blondie mm. is considered a new wave band and they started as a punk band. Maybe you're right, and it's just new wave because yeah. new wave uses other influences. Right, and a lot of the bands they listen to are classified as new wave bands or like adjacent to new wave. Hollow Notes being a big exception, which you know is incidentally actually kind of nostalgic because that was a throwback to music from the 50s and 60s. But adding this very modern spin to it 
but I, I think like it really does just come off to me as they had never heard the term new wave. They were just listening to this very synth heavy music and thought it was the future. I also think that like 1985 is such a specific year to pick smack dab in the middle of the 80s. And this idea too of like, you know, like new wave coming over, especially to America that like, I wonder if if we're, you know, you, one of the first questions you asked us, John, was, you know, do, do we think they made it to, to London? So then, like, I wonder then, like, what's the next step? Is it America after London? And so I'm this idea, write a sequel. which is what I'm saying, which is especially what happens in the late 80s is a lot of the, you know, a lot of English new wave synth pop, punk, pop, rock so came America. over to America. Yeah. The um, British invasion. Exactly. So and that was around like what, like 85, 87? I think it's set in 85, though, because I think it's semi-autobiographical, this film. John Carney did go to the real Sing Street CBS. I said earlier that he based Eamon's love of rabbits off of a friend of his that he knew back in the day. So maybe there are elements that he and Simon Carmody, who wrote the story, I don't know. I, I don't know if Carmody went to uh, Sing Street, but like maybe they pulled influences from their childhoods. Right, what you know. And if you know what it was like growing up in 1985 specifically, that's when you said it. Now, I'm, I'm going to just double check to make sure John Carney was f- around 15 in 1985. Doesn't say when he was born. Oh, born in 1972. So yes. But that would be 87 when he was 15. So um, 13, 15, whatever, you know. Yeah, he, he might have just liked the sound of 1985 better than 1987. Well, I'm a big fan of the 1975, so. Mm-hmm. Well, he was only three at the time. <laughs> That's a band, John. Get with the times. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I feel like we'd be really remiss if we didn't talk about Rafita and her yeah. character yeah, yeah we, we haven't talked about her much at all. So do you think that's her real name? No. First and foremost? No. But I think it's her real name in like a spiritual way where it's the name that she feels fits her better, like and fits her nature better. And she is the type of person who, who has a really good reason to not want connections to her family and to her past. So like it could be her true name, but not her legal name. Like how she gives Cosmo the Cosmo name. (laughs) Yeah. So like maybe her name is like Roberta or something like that or or something a little more Irish, I should say. Yeah, Molly (laughs) probably. I don't know. Maybe it starts with an R because like Connor, Mm. Cosmo, Rafina, some other Irish name that starts with R. Maybe Riley as a first name. (laughs) I don't think people were using Riley as a first name back then. Who knows? Who knows? Riley yeah. could have been her last name, though. Ooh. She's like Enya, Rafina. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, do we ever get a last name from her? Nope. I don't think so. Yeah, so she's just choosing to be Rafina. And I, I think she's supposed to be that, like, manic pixie dream girl for yeah. Connor, in a way. To put a she, modern term for it. Yes. She is, in defense of her characterization, she is given a lot more agency than that type of character typically is. Yeah. And she is given a much richer backstory than that type of character typically is. 
but she is a manic pixie dream girl. But I, I meant more like she's mis- she's mi- when we first meet her, she's mystical. She's beautiful. Yeah. She's standing on a stoop, not going to school because fuck school. Yeah. Um, and she's a she's a year older. <gasps> Scandalo. <laughs> so dangerous but also i think she's a really good foil for connor i mean she you know parents who don't give a crap about their child in the extreme compared to connor right trapped in a you know a single gender environment that also seems to be oppressive in some way with an artistic dream and she's going after an older man or she's Mm -hmm. dating are they dating are they really dating like what what's the deal there is a good question do we, do we think he's like i'm a photographer kind of a thing or is it a real relationship uh i don't like it either way because he's a grown man and she's 16 but that's that's what i mean like right were they dating is it just inferred that they're dating i i do think i think they were sort of dating I think it's kind of a jailbait wait situation, maybe, where he's just kind of like hanging around and waiting until she turns 18. Although I, I don't know the legal age of consent at that time in that place. But I, I don't think it's like he was taking advantage of her dream to become a model. And he listens to Phil Collins and no woman can ever love a man who listens to Phil Collins. But then he wrote Tarzan and everything <laughs> changed. But yeah, I, I'm not I'm not a fan of that relationship. I think it's a less extreme version of what I fear it could be. <laughs> well, when they're on the train, all I can think of when they're on the train coming back from the 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 shoot or going to the shoot, all I can think of is the meeting scene during Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh yeah. It's been a minute since I've seen that movie, so I'm gonna take your word for it. But I'm seeing a film that also plays on the role of the manic pixie dream girl. Right. And I, right. I mean, maybe that wasn't intentional but that was where my mind went to immediately john carney come on the pod explain yourself (laughs) (laughs) explain yourself (laughs) tell me (laughs) oh boy okay well let's get into sharp and flat because i feel like we've talked a lot about this movie already shall we we shall do it flat so obviously in this section, we're going to highlight some moments that we either talked about because we did talk a lot about this movie or we didn't talk about because there may be more stuff that we haven't touched upon. Uh, and if we liked it, it's sharp. And if we hated it or if we think it could be changed, it's flat. Who wants to go first? All right. Well, I wrote down my sharps and flats. Uh, I'm so proud. I know. I don't, I don't take notes well. Um, but I wrote Drive It Like You Stole It, which we talked about ad nauseum. I just wrote real quick, Drive It Like You Stole It, song and sequence both perfectly summarize the themes of the story. Love it. <laughs> we touched on this a little bit, but I really like the way it portrays collaboration um, and the way that Eamon and uh, Connor are able to like just sort of ping pong off each other so much. And just you get the idea that Eamon has had these melodies in his head before. He just never knew what to do with them. And Conversely, Connor had these lines in his head, but he never like just organized them into a song before. So I really like that. That's when the band comes alive is when they start working together. And you don't just see it once. You see it like three or four times throughout the whole. Right. And and, yeah, and it does feel like it grows and it gets easier each time you see it. And I love that. And I think it's great. 
because you don't see that a lot in movies about artists at all. You don't really see the collaboration process. You see the creative process a lot, but. And I like that the ambiguous ending emphasizes that inspiration and motivation can be far more meaningful than the actual results of those inspiration or motivations. Um, Hell yeah, that's a great, that's a great comment. Fuck, yeah. that's awesome. Because that's what, this movie is not about where they end up. This movie is about how they even think to get there. Like, this is just a, a prologue. Yeah, pretty much. And even to the point of, we don't even know if Connor and Rafina are going to end up dating or if they're going to, I don't want to say just friends because their relationship at this point is so close that they can't just be friends. I feel like they're going to be forever friends though. Right. Like, like it feels like they're soulmates, if not romantically, at least platonically. Yeah. And absolutely. like they, they really belong together at least as friends. And I love that it, it doesn't matter if they actually end up in a romantic relationship or not. What matters is they're still together. And it wouldn't have made sense, you know, if Connor and Eamon went to England together, that would have made no sense in the film. Like right. the, it would honestly it wouldn't have made sense if Connor and Brendan went to England together. It only made sense that Connor and Rafina went together. I think that absolutely. Yeah. Uh, she's the reason he started a band because he yeah. lied to her about being in a band which to be fair she lied to him about being a model because she's very clearly not an actual model yet <laughs> and I love that there's like no judgment about like they both at some point figure out that the other one had lied to them she knows right away and I think he I think he figures out pretty quickly she's not actually a model but like they don't judge each other for that like they're just no. like okay, that's what your dream is, so you're manifesting it. But they identify each other mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. I mean, even though she goes, oh yeah, you're the kid in the band. Like, that's a little diminishing, but like, she's still identifying him with that. And, right. you know, also, he knocks on the door and says, you know, where's Rafina? She's a model or something like that. Yeah. Well, I, I think even that, like when she's like, oh yeah, you're the kid in the band, she's like faking that she doesn't recognize him. Yeah. <laughs> To begin with, her whole thing is being fake. Like she is like standing on that step on that stoop and saying she's not interested in any of the boys at the school. Yeah. And then to find you when, you know, when somebody's so vulnerable and so real, yes, I've been listening to a lot of Brene Brown's podcasts, but you know, it's when he's totally vulnerable and does to find you that, you know, breaks her down. It is that ultimate vulnerability. D speeds, what are your sharps? Um, Jack Rayner's brilliant performance. Truly, I put this on my list of, I think this is one of my favorite performances of the 21st century. With I, I think anyone else in that role would have been lost. I think it wouldn't have put these themes that we've started to piece together so well. I don't think they would have become as apparent. I think he is brilliant. I didn't even realize that he was Christian in Midsummer until I looked him up afterwards. I think that, I think this dude is going to become an absolute superstar, even more than he already is. And I, I think he's going to become a household name very soon. He's got to get in a franchise as soon as possible. Like, get that sweet, sweet Disney money and be in the MCU. No, no, no. no. Sarah Sharonin didn't need it. He doesn't need it. That's no. fair. I can't believe that I loved him so much in this movie and hated him so much in Midsommar. He's so good. It's, it's, it all depends on the level of hair that he has. It's called acting. The level yeah. of love that you have for Jack Rayner absolutely depends upon and is contingent upon the amount of hair he has in the role i don't know i still loved him in drive it like you stole it when he had the short hair 
And okay. he has long hair in a Free Fire, and he's dopey and lovable in a bad way in that movie. Ah, damn it. All right. My theory's <laughs> busted. Um, the other thing that I liked, and something that I don't think we talked a little, uh, uh, about, was I felt that the songs really added narratively, or really added to the narrative. The way that Rafina and Connor related to each other during the music video of Riddle of the Model just told so much of the story. You know, again, changing the perspectives of having a having to find you from Rafina's perspective or having the dream sequence during drive like drive it like you stole it. I think there was a story told in a way that many musicals wish they could <laughs> without without I'm saying without it being Spring Awakening. Right, where Spring, no. like, Spring Awakening is brilliant in its own in its own manner where everything is, you know, people's thoughts that nobody else can hear, but it technically stops the action of the play where this is still rock music and it's performative, but through the, maybe the direction or the narrative or, or the storytelling from the filmmaker became very narrative. And I think that's really, really, really brilliant. I think that was a huge sharp for me. Yeah. I wrote down that I fucking love Eamon's mom. She's so great. What Her a little queen. that she gets. Brilliant. And then the vibrator moment, like, Mwah, chef's kiss on top of everything yeah that's my flat that's my that's my flat <laughs> well so, i mean i laughed every time she was on screen because you know she would do something funny like when connor first asked Eamon to be in a band she's just is like oh fuck um the <laughs> first my moment, husband now my son the vibrator moment was fucking hilarious she interrupts them while they're figuring out like how to how to form a band and they're like, and then she starts jamming, and then she starts jamming, and I'm just like, you're the she's she's the comic relief. How can yeah. you not love her in this yeah. movie? Well, I want to shout out all the kids in the band in particular, but like all the the child actors in this movie. Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah! I mean, especially because yeah. they tried to go for no name actors, kids yeah. who didn't have a lot of credits. Also, Darren, who's the manager, who like adjacent to the band. I love great. Darren. I love Darren. Oh, he—he's a—he's a hustler. Like, yeah, he is. We have to start a band, okay? I also loved Brendan's monologue about risk and then stomping on the tape because it was shite. Like, <laughs> like that—that's just a beautiful scene, and yeah. it was great, and it was like the catalyst for Connor to like be serious about this band, right? And then also the making of the riddle of the model, like that's that whole sequence is just so funny and so good, and it it's so bad at the same time. I know they included the vampire teeth, and I I uh, cheered when they included the vampire teeth. I love it, and then <laughs> it, they they literally just went up from there, not to make a pun, but kind of a pun. Because Up is the next song that they play in the movie. Huzzah! <laughs> I got it. I got it. So sometimes in doing this, I have a thing called a natural, which is neither a sharp nor a flat, but it's something that like I have a love-hate relationship with that I need to just shout out to the world. And in this movie, the natural is Barry's haircut, where it's not 100% <laughs> buzzed. <laughs> like there is that one tuft of hair in the back that is taller. And I'm just, as a guy who buzzes his own hair, I'm like, just shave it, shave it, shave it off. So I actually want to add this to a natural. It was going to be a flap. I didn't know how to handle it. Natural. Ooh. 
the reason I'm worried about the musical, the stage play, is I'm worried that they're going to try and make too much of this. Like, there's so much vagueness and ambiguity and you have to accept, like, this thing's happened. They've started a band. They found people immediately. We don't get a backstory. We don't get their relationship as a band and as, like, you know, this as a unit. So part of me wants to, you know, wants to know more about these kids, you know, wants me, wants to know more about even Eamon, you know, who we see the most of, wants to know more about Darren, you know, like, I want, I want to know more about all of these people, but I don't want the story to then become focused on that because then I think it loses its path. So it's, it's, it's kind of that toss up of, I wanted to know more about these kids, but if it started to focus too much, I think we would have lost focus. It's going to pull from Brandon. It's going to pull from Rafina. And ultimately pull from what are the major themes of the story. Ergo, a natural. (laughs) So (laughs) what is every, does anyone have a flat? I mean, I had to really dig deep to find one personally. I have, I I was able to come up with three. Okay. Derek, how many many flats did you come up with? About a half one. Okay. 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 We'll start with Shady again. The first one was super easy for me. I hate that Anne is like pretty important in the first half of the movie. And then for the last 30 minutes, we don't see her at all. The sister? Yeah, the sister. Um, she's like fairly, she's not like hugely important. To, like she doesn't have a huge impact on the story. But there is this like important theme there where she was an artist as a kid and loved expressing herself through paint. And now she's like very on the straight and narrow going to be an architect. She knows what she's going to do. And it's like such an important, for that one scene, it's such an important counterbalance to Brandon. And then 39 minutes in, we see the family, you know, dancing together or something. And then she's gone for the entire rest of the movie. We don't even see her in the drive it like you stole it sequence. I was going to ask that. Wow. Like, was she a That's dancer cute. in that? No. Interesting. That's I, interesting. She, if she was, that she was way buried in the background. There's never a moment that focuses on her. My second flat, this is super nitpicky. I just wanted to come up with three. That's fine. No high school band is this good. <laughs> I mean, this is- I disagree. I mean, I'm sure there are. Like, for example, Brendan Urie was still <laughs> was in 16 high years old. Yeah, he was 16 years old when they signed. Haley Williams was like 14 when she signed a major record deal but like they're just so good after so little time working together but that's the speed of the movie like right, it has yeah. to it it needed I to know. go that fast we, this is a that, nitpick but we but we do see them not be great at the beginning which right is, which shows because they're not true to themselves they're trying to be somebody else john right they they do they do have that moment of like oh we need to work together I just drive it like you stole it. It's just so fucking good. And I went to high school with guys who were in bands and we all they did. did not make anything that good. And then uh, my final flat, my third and final flat has nothing to do with this movie itself. I am really, really genuinely upset that it did not get an Oscar nomination for best original song. I mean, that's fine. Yeah, that, that's I mean, still- once won the Oscar for best original song, Begin Again, which was the movie that John Carney made between Once and Sing Street, and like they kind of make an unofficial trilogy together. That got nominated, but it didn't win. And they got I, nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, for best original song. <sighs> I know, and this and this movie didn't. And then like 
to add insult to injury, because this was the year that La La Land came out, La La Land got three Best Original Song nominations. You couldn't fit one. You couldn't put one song from Sing Street in place of one of the lesser La La Land songs. That's true. I would add that to my flat. Yeah. So, G-Speeds, what is your 0.5 flats? Well, now 1.5 flats. I mean, it goes off. It goes. It goes off my natural a little bit, which is just, again, I don't. I don't know what the correct answer is, but I wanted to see a little more arc for some of the other members of the band. Of just like, I mean, if the twins got a little more dialogue and or we saw their parents, maybe yeah. that'll be that would have been better. Yeah, like I, I think we needed to see the twins' home, and we it we could have stood to see Darren's home too. Well, and then I'm, I'm so sorry. What is what is the keyboardist name again? Ingig. And geek, so like we need his mother, but then that's right. all we see, you know. Like, and then just I felt like they were making a comment of like, oh, this is the one, you know, person of color in this like extremely white space, right? But I don't think they did it. I don't, again, I'm not, I'm not I mean, harping on it too much, but they didn't do enough to make it more than tokenism, if I'm being honest. So I wrote that as my flat. I could have done without Darren's racism, personally. Yeah, uh... but like, I mean. You keep saying it's of the time and it's 1985 Ireland. So like, I get it. But at the same time, I'm just like, did we have to have that one conversation about a racial slur that he's not allowed to say? Like, yeah. Or other things that he's hinted to, to Ngeek? I mean, I don't think it's terrible. Like, it exists and it's, you know, true to life to like have somebody be casually racist to the only black person they know. But I don't like a lot of it was maybe not necessary. They didn't have to take it quite as far as yeah. that. So I'm taking this flat as something that could have just like been plucked right out of the movie because like, otherwise I've, this movie's a banger. Like yeah. we, we nitpicked on things Yes, I mean, yes, getting backstory on them is kind of like a, a big deal, but like, do we really need it? <laughs> Did we need it for the story that's being told? Yeah, the so story. I, I think the I think I think I had an issue because I remember I watched this movie like the first time I watched it, I watched it twice in like the same week. I watched it with my dad, and then I was like, "Mom, you got to watch this with us," and we just rewatched it, and we and I loved it, and I again, I kind of wanted to keep it a little special, so I didn't rewatch it as much. And I think I had, I kind of built it up a little too much in my mind and I rewatched it. And after I finished watching it, I think I kind of was a little disappointed and I couldn't know why. And I think it's because I started to take it too simply. And I think the more that we've talked about it and the more that I've started to think about it, you know, after the fact of watching it and realizing that there actually is a lot in here. It is a simply done movie, but it's not a simple story by any means. No. And I think I, I, I didn't give it enough credit in my yeah. rewatch no the the plot really is very simple and it's something we've seen a lot but the themes that are happening just just the personal stakes are done so well it's it's really commendable that they were able to pack so much into what's really just such a little story this is a story we see in like tv sitcoms that are handled in a half hour yeah and they pack so much meaning into it and if there was any more I don't want to say stakes because the stakes are there, but if there was any more emphasis or emotion, right. it would have become mel- it would have become melodrama. Right, right. I think it's like really smart that there's not a contest that they have to win. 
yes there's not, yes. There's not a talent show yes. that needs to be one and like the the fact that the dance is brought up so late in the movie that it's mm-hmm. like great you got a gig oh, oh there's yeah. an american version of this movie that's so bad really no i'm, I'm saying i'm saying like oh, there's oh, a hypothetical yeah. american <laughs> version of this movie right. american like hollywood studio version that is so fucking bad so you, you mean the american remake that's probably going to happen in the next week <laughs> So you mean Eurovision? You mean band slam without any of the indie charm? Oh God, we're going way off topic, guys. <laughs> would we add any of the songs to our life's playlist? I mean, I'm gonna also include the real songs, like the non-written for this movie songs. Okay. Oh, add any Cure song to my life. I love yeah. me some Robert Smith, please. But like, yeah. would you add any of them to your life's playlist? Yeah, well, I mean, just going to the curated songs, uh, I was already, before this movie, a fan of Duran Duran. I was already a fan, huge fan of Hollow Notes, fan of The Jam. Um, I listened to Joe Jackson, uh, wouldn't call myself like a huge fan, but I'm certainly familiar with his work. So a lot of that was already in my life's playlist before this movie. But the five original songs that are regular rotation in my playlist are Drive It Like You Stole It, Beautiful Sea, Up, brown shoes and girls like i can't get enough of those songs i listen to all of the original songs but like those are the five that like i have them drive it like you stole it is in like 12 different playlists on my spotify this is a song that like so i again i i did kind of like i did like a a demo conversation about this movie with with my girlfriend and and she kept coming back to drive it like you stole and again it was a song that slipped under my radar that i just i'm gonna listen to it again right after this listen to it by itself yes so damn catchy it could be on the radio 1985 or 2021 like this is a pop song right now yeah yeah i mean i've listened to the whole album pretty regularly i mean i love all these songs they're they're great especially the ones that they're like the curated songs as you call them which are the influences and Mm. it's like they're so specific yeah and they're not i mean like i would say rio is the most well-known of those songs i mean like like that is not the most well-known cure song by any means right uh, the hollow notes song, the yeah uh, oh yeah well, they use man eater which i'm kind of surprised they went with man eater instead of you make like my rich dreams. or rich girl or rich girl yeah Probably because um, of the synth yeah i think it's the synth and it like the vibe kind of fit the movie a little bit more some of it teeters on the edge of it being two top hits of the of 1985 uh, which normally bothers me in a certain context in um, period pieces, but they justify it by like, well, that's what he heard on the radio. They would have been watching, yeah. Right, so that's what he was inspired by. I think um, of the two, mine would be, again, the ones that are in my rotation are Up and Girls, and I think Girls has a special place in my heart because they're performing it at an all-male Catholic high school. <laughs> And my favorite band is an English band, the 1975, and they have a song called Girls, which is very similar, actually, and was like on repeat in my car during high school as well. So I, I just think there's, that every time I hear it, I think of that and it, it brings me yeah. back to high school. So I, I think I like Girls because of the jerkiness of the guitar. Um, I will say, uh, if you ever have to drive from Camden, New Jersey to Chicago, Illinois, girls brown shoes and drive it like you stole it are amazing on your driving playlist instant hits noted (laughs) so i meant to ask this question earlier but i'm now going to ask that do you think this is more of a 
movie with music or a musical movie? I'm going to say musical movie because the original songs do express so much of what cannot be expressed, at least by Connor, through like just dialogue. Like, yes, it's diegetic music for the most part, but he cannot express himself through speaking the same way he can through music. And that is ultimately what musicals are, are we can't express these very complex ideas the way we want in dialogue. So we put it in song. I think, I think that's actually why it's so successful is because it teeters on that edge. Exactly. As you said, I don't know, because, because I want to say it's not a musical where like, oh my goodness, there's so much emotion that there's dialogue doesn't cut it. I have to go into a song, which is, you know, kind of the stereotype that people say when we talk about musicals but in some ways for Connor that is his experience is that my emotion is so much that I can't speak it I have to put it into song and because the filmmaking and the storytelling goes into that narrative detail and it moves the story along it's not just a break in the action yeah I think I have to classify it as a musical movie I don't have an opinion either way personally because like I feel like if you were to take the songs out it's still a good movie it's still tapping into a lot of very real things about adolescence. But I think if you take the music out, if you take, not to take the music out, but if you take the scenes with the music out, if you take the action that happens during the music, mm. you don't get the full story. That's true. Especially during, crap, what's that one song? God damn it. To, to find, find you. you. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not saying, like, if you take the music out and the lyrics are gone, I think, I think I think you could have like the action that happens during the song still occur, but I think if you take those full sequences out, the story is gone. It is not a break in the action. It is a, it is a through through part of the movie. So guys, we're done with the episode. Oh my gosh! I we feel fi- like we finally finished it. <laughs> Do you have anything to plug or promote, Shady? You first. Hey, listen to this other podcast called Movie Deja Vu that I co-host with John. Yeah, that's me. (laughs) And also you can follow me if you're interested in my asinine movie opinions. I am on Twitter at Cookie O'Shady. It's spelled like it sounds. Shady, what kind of cookie are you today? I tried to think of an Irish cookie and I couldn't think of any, which is a shame because we eat lots of Irish desserts in my family at Christmas time. So I'm just going to say a ginger snap. <laughs> uh, I was going to say a shortbread cookie, which is Scottish and a lot of people confuse Irish and Scottish. Close enough. Oh. Okay. Speeds, what do you have to plug? Well, I'm uh, working on my own podcast right now called Dinner in a Movie Podcast. Uh, it should be out on by now on Spotify. And uh, also, I record it every week on Perform Live, which is a new um, live streaming platform. Uh, on there, I also do um, <laughs> pairings of fast food and fine wine under the uh, moniker of Mix Sommelier. So uh, please feel free to follow me there on Perform Live. It's a great platform. Or follow me on Instagram at McSommelier or Dinner in a Movie underscore podcast. So Perform Live is, is its own app platform thing. It's kind of like, like Patreon. It's, with- it's like Patreon and Twitch uh, and OnlyFans, but not for porn. So we have to pay? <laughs> no, you don't. Okay. But I will accept gifts always. Also, sorry, if you saw me on my phone, um, I... My sommelier account just got um, followed by a really famous sommelier who was in the Psalm movies. Uh, 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 so no. that was why for a second I kind of, 
the Psalm documentary movies. They kind of like blew up like a few years ago. Um, Anyway, this dude, this dude is freaking dope. And uh, all of a sudden he just decided to follow my account. And that's why I got distracted for a few minutes at the end. So thank you for bearing with me. Sorry. Congratulations. That's awesome. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with me or if this sommelier want to like follow my podcast while we're at it, uh, you can email me at photosongpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and sort of on Twitter at photosongpod. I mean, I'm just there. You can give us your thoughts on Sing Street or on D-Speed's other podcast slash live Form live. Yes. And, you know, make sure you follow us on, I'm going to repeat, make sure you follow us on uh, Movie Deja Vu. Um, Yeah, sometimes I connect the two on my socials. And if you want to be part of next week's episode, well, there's not really a movie, personally, because next, well, next episode is my 50th. It's a milestone episode, everyone. So stay tuned for that one. There is no one movie. It is four musical moments from non-musical TV and film. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck that means, but I cannot (laughs) wait to watch it. Listen to it. Be sure to check out the Milestone episode and, you know, the next, I have ideas for the next milestone, for, which is in the super future, but <laughs> got to think of these things early. So, so everyone make sure to follow this Instagram so that you can actually make accurate poll decisions. Wait, has anyone done Hearts Beat Loud yet? <gasps> As a movie? Ooh, that's yeah. a good movie. Can that, be our, can that be our next duo one? <laughs> can we come back oh. by popular demand? I mean, the populace being I'll being shady. Vote. No, not really. Well, <laughs> we can talk about it off screen, but for now, because we've run so far over and editing this is going to be <laughs> so much fun, I say we take this band, uh, this, this trio to London, everyone, and see if we work out as a band, shall we? Boo. <laughs> I like I, that idea. I was tying in. The movie D Speeds. They were not a trio. They were a sextet. We're a trio. Oh. (laughs) I'm going to slap you. Anyway, bye for now, everyone. Bye bye. Bye. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.